Like most of history, our show is absolutely foul and filled with horrible language that is inappropriate for children. Listener discretion is advised. Here, tell me your Wild Wild West The football story. player's name is Michael Orr. Oh. You do have a black guy's name, don't you? <laughs> As Michael leans back to look at, like, just the recording, like, I can sink you. Well, there's, like, a bunch of really long lines where we're laughing. <laughs> I worked in college admissions... <laughs> For four years. Yeah. The Blind Side was released during those four years. A peculiar thing began to happen because these parents, these parents would receive a packet from from institution that would say tour of campus given by Ambassador Michael Orr. And about once a semester, a father would show up. And be like, oh, you're not black. Oh. Oh, no. Would, I would walk in because they would, I, my workspace, my workspace wasn't in the immediate reception you area. You fucking, like, high school prof- or college professor tweed jacket. No. Even worse, I, I, so I was, in, in college, I was, I was this unbelievably Awkward, gawky, oh, I met you. skinny white kid. I probably weighed 140 pounds wet. And I walk in, and this dad standing there holding a Sharpie pen and a Tennessee Titans hat. Did he really? Yeah, a oh few different God. times. Oh my a few God. different times. Would stand there, and they would always, every single one of them would do this thing where they would like try and look around me. As if Michael Orr, one of the largest men playing offensive line in football, could somehow be hiding behind <laughs> this tiny, sad white kid. Are we starting the episode here? Because <laughs> that's a god. Oh, oh, that's amazing. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Drunk Thunks. Uh, I'm Michael. <laughs> I'm Brittany. And I'm Jake. Hey. And this is a podcast where we start drinking and then tell fun stories from history together. But also fun stories from our personal histories. And there, my right? personal history is riddled with references to the blind side. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of disappointed Tennessee Titans fans. Oh, man. The worst part is he moved around, so there's a few different team <laughs> fan bases that are just real, real unhappy to meet me. God, that's the most amazing thing I've ever heard. <laughs> that's fucking great, God. Uh, oh, yeah. It's been it's been an interesting time having the name Michael Orr in in the age of post blindside. Michael Orr, you can look him up on Facebook. <laughs> you can. You're not gonna find anything interesting. Okay. Uh, Michael, you have a story for us, do you not? I do. So tonight, I'm gonna be telling you guys the story of the greatest inaugural party in the history of the United States. Is it my six, sweet 16? No. 
Oh, this Brittany. is this is Brittany. He said greatest, not saddest. Yeah. Well, it, <laughs> oh no, oh, but just you wait. Brittany, I know you. I have this a pi- is before you, I, was like, I have a picture from my sweet sixteen. I'll show you later. Go on. <laughs> this oh is God. not only the biggest party, but the saddest party in all of American history. Then it might oh, be Brittany, my might sweet be about sixteen. You. <laughs> it might it, be. It cut to a picture of you and like, I, I'm assuming you didn't know her then, but like. Caitlin sitting in a corner just like watching Disney films. <laughs> what? Anyway, start the episode. That was her sweet 21st, sweet 22nd, sweet 23rd, sweet 24th. <laughs> no, we only did that once and it was my sweet 20... It was my it was my sweet 23rd because oh, it was that was a, it was when we watched Mulan 2 and God, drank. it's not a good movie. <laughs> Give me the whole cake. Fuck it, that's such and a... And eat a whole cake! <laughs> Big, God, that fucking movie. It's my okay. party, and I'll cry because I have to. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the story of the biggest, saddest, most unhappy, miserable party in history, and it is a fun time the story of Andrew Jackson's horrible, terrible, no good, very bad inauguration. Holy shit. Oh, oh Andrew God. Jackson, we're doing the evil president. Correction, the most evil president. <laughs> you got happy <laughs> asterisks there. Yeah, we have to... Not you know, there's the, an evil asterisk. the most evil. This is back before the designation war crimes really had any significant meaning to people. Yeah, back then it was called bringing civilization. That's right. It was called victory oh. or peace. So, oh, so uh, before we can talk about the party, we have to have a bit of context about Jackson himself. So uh, Andrew Jackson was born in the backwoods of the United States well before it was the United States. Uh, he was a child during the American Revolution and was raised in a family of fighters. He ended up fighting his way through the ranks of the American military. And uh, by 1824, he had actually been nominated for president already by a bunch of the backwood type pioneering peoples that looked up to him so much. Uh, he like was also people whose names are like Tucker. <laughs> <laughs> to go back Bill, to an earlier joke. Billy, Billy Bob Joe. Billy Bob Joe would have Lou Ann. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the entire cast of King of the Hill. Well, I don't tell you what. I think that there Andrew Jackson should be president. <laughs> you gotta say it like I tell you what. <laughs> God. No, no, no. These are people. These are people from like North Carolina and Tennessee. Yeah. Yeah. They're not saying what. They're saying like. What? <laughs> <laughs> what? That's another group alienated. We could do an entire series on Jake trying to delineate southern accents. Oh, it'll be great because I'll do the same accent for each one. <laughs> oh, fuck that. We can do an entire episode on God, Jake we, trying to we, alienate people. <laughs> I'm pretty good at it. <laughs> I got to tell someone at my job the other day to, uh, he, or no, what was it? Buddy, you need to go unfuck yourself right now. And that felt really good. <laughs> oh, well, speaking of people that really needed to unfuck themselves, Andrew Jackson. He Sorry, is, Brittany's dying. Andrew Jackson at this point is one of the first, like, real, other than George Washington and the Sons of the Revolution, is one of the real celebrity generals of the time period. He's a war hero who won the Battle of New Orleans that helped to end the War of 1812. Actually, may I offer a quick correction? Yeah. The I'm war so- had already been over. <laughs> It and was over. Never, and you'll never find that fact in Andrew Jackson's biography. 
He was a preeminent fighter and commander who was involved in many of the Indian Wars. He was a state representative and a governor for Florida, which he had actually captured from the Spanish under absolutely probably, no authority. probably legal grounds. So he was all around just the definition of a badass. He was like the Sylvester Stallone of the 1800s. I would, I would say bastard, not a badass, oh, he but was, I've got my biases. He was a bastard, too, and he would Such freely a... admit that, uh, and then he'd shoot you afterwards. So <laughs> Challenge he, me to a duel. The thing is, is that his personality was this really, really incredible fusion of southern hospitality and absolute brutality that made him a popular hero among most of American populations. Made him a goddamn American. That's right, and that really was his platform. He was a yeah. he was American red-blooded fighter through and through. No, 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 not American, just American. American. You need just a hint of an A, but without actually an A. American. He was an American. God, no, you... You are so... He was... A American. Ah, just you can be better was, than him. I know. <laughs> so <laughs> the thing was that Andrew Jackson's rise to fame came at a time with an increasing rise of social awareness among the people of the United States, because largely speaking, the populations of the U.S. hadn't really been given too many rights when it came to the politics of the time during the American Revolution. Uh, the people that were allowed to vote were only pretty much landed men. So you had to own land, and you had to be a white male, which is a pretty, you know, tight-knit group of the population. Um, well, Post-American yeah, politics... I have no knowledge about that. Can't relate. Post-American revolution politics are really fucking interesting. I really want to do episodes on Shays Rebellion and the Whiskey Rebellion oh, later. Oh, there's a lot to because, say. Because, I mean, there is... Oh, God, it's... um. It's really fucking fucked up. So it is fucked up. And it during is. this time period, people were becoming increasingly aware of that. And so suddenly Andrew Jackson, this backwoods fighter who wasn't well-educated but had risen through the political system, became a politician. What? You mean a weird, like, populist guy who really had no qualifications? That's exactly what he would was. You, would you call him a backwood boy? Backwoods back, all right? Hey, Michael, there's All a right. gun over there. We can both just kill ourselves right now. He was a real American. and This is America. <sighs> so, as opposed to the previous political leadership, he was seen as an everyman. He was not a stuffy, educated, northern politician. And this came uh, at a time when more and more people... say people... he really just spoke his mind? <laughs> yeah, they did, as a matter of fact. Oh, I hate this. Uh, God, so... I hate Jackson. So we're now in the mid-1820s. The American Revolution is a few decades in the rear view, and people are starting to grow into the sense of being American for the first time. Uh, and what happens? Well, we elect a stuffy, well-educated northern politician. Because we elected John Quincy Adams. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, About that. First, like, not political dynasty, because there were others, but I mean, first of all, the presidency. And he was the first presidential dynasty in American yeah. history. Yeah, the Adamses, uh, his father was John Adams. Here's the thing, though. I kind of like him because he did the whole America does not go abroad in search of uh, foreign monsters to slay, and I really like that speech. And God, I wish we adhered to that. Thanks, Wilson. Well, John Quincy Adams was definitely the most, I mean, possibly 
There are, there are arguments that have been made that John Quincy Adams was the best educated man in the world for his time. He had grown up the son of a president who had been educated in the foreign service, right? He, by the time he was 12, he was speaking probably four or five different languages. He was traveling abroad with his father. He became a foreign diplomat to other governments. Oh, yeah, right. He did do a lot. Oh, yeah. I was going to make a joke, and it's like, oh, wait, no, yeah. He was, like, going to France, like, when he yeah. was 10. He was, he was one of, like, the secretaries of the Russian czar. He was living in France. Yeah, he had he, dealings he with Amsterdam. The man was the most cosmopolitan, posh, upper-class motherfucker you could ask for at any time in history. And, most importantly, he also, as a president, gave several speeches about the possibility of the existence of mole people and our need to dig down into the ground to try and find their city. Part? I'm sorry, did you oh, say mole Do you people? not know about John Quincy Adams and the mole people? No, but I'd like no, to know. Because I, please, I am going to leave that. Me. I'm going to take that and drop it here as a teaser for another episode in the future. Because, <gasps> no, ladies and gentlemen, now. oh, it is a good time. Is it like the end of Incredibles? It, it is. is Bernie, he's just getting you to the edge. Don't worry, he'll, he'll get you later. It is just the beginning of the Incredibles <laughs> in terms of American history. Don't tease so. me. <laughs> hey, some people just like being teased. So Jackson is clearly the popular leader in this election. Jackson has received so many popular votes, but John Quincy Adams manages to snipe the votes from another third Fuck candidate. Fuck yeah! Woo! Get him, Quincy! Quincy. What a fucking nerdy name. He's like, he's like the fucking... No, 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 Quincy. His name is the Jello salad of people. My, he, his do your, do name... Do your accent again. He's he 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 just the most apocryphal. Of people. His name is like. Except he's from New York. He's from Massachusetts. Uh, it's not a good Kennedy, but you know. Um, his name is like <laughs> if you made a wedgie a person. Yes. <laughs> but he Holy was. Sir. That's exactly what he was. Don't, I mean, he was just the atoms. Oh man, he was a he was a glasses taped together with a band aid kind of nerd. But don't he was, talk about Harry Potter that way. That's right. So yeah, uh, unless Quincy Adams was okay. So in 1828, John Quincy Adams wins the election over Andrew Jackson. Andrew Jackson is beyond furious. He called the election a corrupt bargain among the Washington elites, and he and his followers made an absolute point to make John Quincy Adams' life miserable for the entirety of his presidency, leading one of the most educated men in all of world history to have a completely, if not completely, mostly un- Notable presidency. I want to laugh, but this is all very painfully familiar. Yeah. <laughs> all the spices, all of these spices, and everyone picks salt. That's right. Well, because Jackson, <laughs> Jackson doesn't lose. One of the one of the fundamental like tenets that would have been carved over his tomb was yeah. Jackson doesn't lose. I was gonna say, I bet that really chapped his ass. Oh, it did. But that's it was, one of my favorite phrases in the it's whole world. It's such a good one. But it was far worse than that because J this election. Not only that, he lost to a fucking nerd. Yeah. He lost to a guy that he would like give a noogie to. He lost to a nerd in what may be one of the most brutal, mean-spirited, down and dirty political campaigns. Oh, is this one of the after his wife? Yeah! Yes! Yeah! They nailed each other so hard to the fucking wall. What, John Quincy Adam and Andrew Jackson? Oh they my god. God, that fucking slash fake. They were rutting in the dirt for this information. <laughs> wait, wait, Now I'm gonna to pound know. you I like I pounded the British at New Orleans. That's right. Who was the power bottom and who was the top? Jackson was the power bottom. 
Because he's filled with rage. Jackson is the power bottom because he generates a lot of upward force, and he also loves to just take it and take it and take. My god. Oh, man. Meanwhile, John Quincy Adams is absolutely a top because he's just the littlest prick in the world. <laughs> wow. He's an otter. No, he wasn't hairy enough to be an otter. He was far too bald. Oh, um, I don't uh, know. I don't know terms for this scene. Twink. Uh, twink. <laughs> it's such a funny word. I really like. Besides twink, I really like the term twonk. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it means, but it's great. It's like a uh, skinny, skinny Steve Rogers twink. Big Steve Rogers. Wonk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good nearly, old Captain no, America reference nearly there. Nearly enough information to, com- uh, to comment on this. All you have to hear is the word twonk and laugh. It's so, <laughs> yeah, this, just read the script for once. <laughs> <laughs> Too busy writing it. So this this campaign, we talk about vicious political campaigns today, but this one was so brutal that it actually ended up resulting in Andrew Jackson's wife's death. Oh, fuck. Holy shit. His wife, Rachel, was so utterly dragged through the mud, called a whore and a adulteress. Her name is Rachel. Ooh. <laughs> she was so because she had been in a previous abusive, horrid relationship. Oh, and really Andrew bad. Jackson saved her from that relationship and eventually they entered into a kind of a quasi common law marriage while her divorce was being processed. But of course, oh. John Quincy Adams' campaign ignored all of that and in the public papers of the time called her a slut, a whore, a scarlet woman, I mean all sorts of unbelievable names. Um, well, it was God, so bad like, that she actually basically died of grief and embarrassment. I, I yeah, just the amount of stress that would cause. Right, especially because this is she comes from a culture of Southern hospitality and geniality that is predicated on a public image of being cordial and, and ladylike, and that was so violated that it drove her to such depths of depression that she literally expired. Oh, God. We have this weird mental image of people from this time as being very proper, but, like, that's only the way they speak. Like, they're saying very proper-sounding things. Meanwhile, they're all, like, having sex with a 12-year-old girl who's, like, technically a slave of the town or something. Right. Like, it's really not good. People are really fucking awful well, this I, time period. I think we tend to immortalize a golden past that never really what, existed. What? Are you trying to imply that America has some type of civil religion? <laughs> Oh, were we DFI founding fathers? Oh, God. Let's keep drinking. Yeah, uh, let's. Um, so, uh, Rachel dies. Um, so, Rachel dies. Andrew Jackson is filled let's with even more rage than normal. stop so, drinking. By November God, of 1828, you can do better, <laughs> the end of the, the John Quincy Adams presidency has come. And finally, after so many years, Jackson resoundingly wins the popular vote and is elected as the first populist president of the United States. The first person who the general public of the United States really wanted to be president. So here's the thing. I think a bit of populism is a good thing in a political system. You need it to kind of, for lack of a better term, clean out the system. You gotta have buy-in from the people that you're governing. Yeah, exactly. Um, I wish it wasn't Jackson. (laughs) Yeah, well, there's a lot of reasons for that. So he's finally president, and his inaugural day comes. Andrew Jackson, the people's president, is about to be sworn in to the presidency of the United States. It is March 4th, 1829. It is 
comfortably warm outside, and as recorded, with a hint of spring. <laughs> a hint of spring was upon the air. That's right. It was a lovely morning. The morning, the morning broke, was... still clinging to winter's chill, but then spring reared its head. Did you read the same memoirs that I did? Uh, no, I was quoting a little bit of Tolkien. <laughs> well... It was a sexual morning. <laughs> a sexual. It was the morning upon which everyone would eventually be fucked. <laughs> oh, boy. Because I promise Everything you, especially the Cherokee, oh, while even with the lovely spring mornings to come, everyone, I promise you, will soon be miserable. So, I'm excited to hear it. Uh, eighth burp of the night, at least. Is it all me? It is all you. It is exclusively you. Why is no one else burping? Because we're not gross. We can't help it, right? <laughs> I'm not blaming you. I am. Okay, so everyone's gonna leave this party really <laughs> fucking unhappy. I promise you, my goal is to prove to you that by the end of the day, not a single person within the vicinity of Washington, D.C. is happy. Oh my god. <laughs> it is one of the greatest accomplishments of misery Can I in say all something of recorded though, history. Uh, you're starting off with an unfair advantage. They're already in Washington, D.C. I would say, like, they're starting off on, like... They're starting off at, like, a negative five, I think. I, I would I would lay you down one even better than that. We're starting in Washington, D.C. during an era where slavery is still allowed, so... Are we counting them, or are we only counting them as three-fifths of a, um... Are we only counting the important... <laughs> I don't play by their terms, so I'm gonna call them people. Yes, I, I agree. I'm not coming at... Hot hot take here. People. I am not defending slavery. <laughs> People greater than property. Yes. I think all human beings have inherent value. Especially especially with <laughs> Oh boy. So except uh, for the Irish. To set the scene. You to say the, the two Irish people. <laughs> 92% British Isles in my ancestry. I've definitely got Irish. Cool. So to set the scene, it's March 4th, 1829. It is a beautiful morning. Jackson is 61 years old. He is 6 foot 1 feet tall, towering what? over the majority of the population, and he is an unbelievably sick, sickly 140 pounds. Well, wait, I'm was sorry. He like, did he, he have said, consumption or something? No, he was just absolutely oh. bereft with grief over the death oh. of his wife, Rachel. Yeah, that would do it. How tall was he? Six foot one. That's hot. He's six foot one and 140 pounds. Are you like, oh, yes, I want a six foot one skeleton man? Oh, you just want a six foot one person. I love watery. Well, uh, what? <laughs> I promise um, you that water weight was one thing that Andrew Jackson is not going to give you. May I? Uh, Oh, May I, I've never heard a man described as watery. <gasps> oh, it's and so I feel like it's, it's something my, that apply to me. It's my fucking favorite. Watery oh, is Elijah Wood. Oh, what's the other one? Daniel Radcliffe. But they're all Michael. Thin. They're all like thin little twink men, except for Michael. <laughs> <laughs> I have. You're you're a, you're a very handsome man. I Michael. have attained. Some mass over the past several years, Michael. From a combination of stress, depression, and, and love of Grater's ice cream, Michael. I and am and love of me, Michael. I'm a portly, plump man. You don't have to defend yourself at all. Nor do I intend to. 
so real quick, may I ask a, um, another unrelated question regarding sure. Andrew Jackson at this time? How many bullets are in him at this time? That is actually a really interesting question because we don't have a clear count. It is anywhere from what I have read between 6 and 17 bullets. What? That's, that's a, a big That's gap. a lot of lead in your body. Because at this time, they were firing muzzle-loading pistols, so it's all soft lead. That's right. And now, Andrew Jackson had a very particular strategy when entering into a duel. What he would do is he would enter into the duel, stand there, allow his opponent to fire, and whether or not he had been shot with a bullet, would take careful aim and blow away his opponent. Well, real quick before we get to Brittany's question and going on with that... What was it uh, Wyatt Earp said? Fast is fine, but accuracy is final. That's right. And Andrew Jackson lived and died by his words. Yeah. Um, Brittany. How was he still alive? Um, luck or the devil is real and protected him. I'm pretty sure it was at this point pure rage. Oh my god. He's the Hulk. Is it you? Yeah. No. I'm pretty sure it was Michael. I feel like you would cry if you got a paper cut. <gasps> I would. I don't like them. They suck. That Especially scene in Jackass where they're giving each other paper cuts, that's the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. Especially when you get salt or lemon juice in them. That's rough. Um, okay, so, Andrew Jackson, <laughs> six funny. feet one, six uh, 140 one, pounds. To quote Brittany, pounds. watery. Oh, he is, oh no, what it's not man. even, it's beyond watery, it's papery. There's nothing left of the man. I've never lost her. You just want to fuck a corpse. <laughs> You're like, oh, this is as close to a corpse as I can get. This is why I kept her away from the mummy exhibit when it came through town. I was scared I'd lose her. <laughs> this just... is why I'm the spookiest bitch. So Andrew Jackson is riddled with grief and anger. And I have written here that, and I think I wrote this while I was drunk. He is the angriest, saddest skeleton living in history. No well, way, you were drunk? Wait, what year was this? What was it? What this time was, was this? 18, at 7 in the morning? 1828, and it was at 11 p.m. at night. I don't Thank know. You very much. I, I don't know. Percy Shelley was already dead by then. It's true. <laughs> now, the thing that you have to remember is that he's the first populist president, which means that he's being voted in not by a small group of influential people, but by an incredibly large group of not as influential people. Uh, say it right. Poor people. Poor people Who is Who I right. am all for. I love the poor. No, that's right. I mean, look, this was a man that appealed... This was a man that had broad appeal across a range of demographics. So, when he is elected president, over 20,000 people from up to 500 miles away travel to Washington, D.C. to celebrate his inauguration. Uh, one of the ladies there, Emily Donaldson, who was, I believe, his niece, uh, described the crowd as... One dense mass of living beings. They were, in a word, krill to be fed on by the gaping maw of unhappiness that was the inauguration day. First off, I couldn't help but to laugh at gaping. Um, <laughs> second off, can you just hear the disdain in that? Oh, she hated them. She hated him because she was one of the backwoods era people that had become aristocracy. She was like the definition of new she money. She was like the worst, like the worst kind of person who, once they get out of like that situation, they hate everyone who's 
in it. That's right. She was yeah. desperately trying to so be posh. That. So Washington, a city of genteel politicians, was absolutely shocked and terrified by these overwhelming crowds of surly mobs that were already uh, defined as quote-unquote mob rule under the rough and plain-spoken Andrew Jackson. The problem is I hate both of these groups. There's no winners in this game. Like, everyone's awful, because all, like, the frontiersmen are like, let's kill the Indians, and meanwhile all the rich people are, they're rich people, and they're always awful. Right, and it was just, it was just those two coming into collision with each other, and you don't know where to stand. So there was uh, a lady uh, who wrote a very influential memoir of this day and of the period surrounding it. Her name was Margaret Bayard Smith, the wife of a Maryland senator. And I'm going to be drawing on her memoirs heavily for this because she wrote one of the definitive accounts of the day. Okay. So uh, she is the poshest of the posh. and But she also was really on board with the whole Jackson train, right? She loved the idea of this populist president. And so she wrote uh, that thousands and thousands of people without distinction of rank collected in an immense mass around the Capitol building. I mean, we're talking like the largest crowd that had gathered yet in American history, possibly other than Washington's funeral. So, because this influx into town had happened, of course, every single hotel room in Washington, D.C. has been booked. And at that, the price inflation was unbelievable. Well, you know what we think about whenever we think of the, like, 1820s U.S. economy? Fucking booming. That's right. It's, <laughs> it's like, not a good time. Oh, it's just unbelievable gouging. The dollar's really strong. The dollar barely exists. <laughs> So a room would normally cost, during this time period, about $7 a week, which in Washington, D.C., which is no small amount of money. I mean, we're yeah, talking, that's a lot of money. That is a ton of money. So with this happening, 20,000 people come into town, and suddenly rooms are being booked for $20 a week. Holy shit. Three times the going price of a room oh, during the time. Christ. So Can these you people... imagine? Now, okay... Based it would be on like like if, how much a, a hotel a week now costs. Let's let's say for average price about 150 to 300 bucks. Well, no, that's a fucking night. Per night. A night. This would be like if I took Dan's monthly rent from whatever it is now, and this is assuming that on Dan, average, of course, we'll say, actually how about, exists. How about like 95 a night? We'll say on average. Okay. Seven. That's 665 a week. That times is... three. That's $1,995 a week. Basically $2,000 a week. just gave me an ulcer thing. You know? <laughs> like, that gave me I a stress ulcer. I just shat my The thought pants. of spending $1,000 a week on anything other than my mortgage. Ugh. Dude, even that. I. So, yeah. So that's um, what we're dealing with. So in protest, and essentially out of necessity, because who has that kind of cash flow? Are they just making a tent city? Oh, thousands of people made sit-in protests by sleeping on the floors of taverns and pubs without rent. What that's a, what I get out of that is um, they fucking stormed these places, set up bedrolls, and the guy's like, no, you can't sleep here without paying. They said, no, 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 don't worry, it's we're protesting. That's right. This is a sit-in protest. And Fuck you, like, I'm oh, here to okay. see Andrew Jackson. And then, like, literally the guy's like, get out of here, and then, like, all these backwoodsmen turn and look at him and pull out, like, their beating sticks and are like, 
What'd you say to me, boy? Right. What'd you say? Washington was outnumbered and overrun, and so when they ran out of tavern floors, they started parking out in open fields without tents. And this was days in advance. This isn't the night before. We're talking probably a week or two out. So for the next 14 days, Washington is absolutely overrun with people with no place to go, no planned sewage, and no access to clean water. That's an... Oh, that's another thing that, like, I'm so How is cholera not a thing? Disease, yeah. Last night, like, no planned sewage. Like, at least now, it's like... Some cities had planned sewage. Well, no, that's what I'm saying, is, like, now it's, like... But not for this number. And the United States was never particularly good at it, at least not until later. Yeah, it's like, where are you gonna go that's, like... Man, I really hope I can shit here. You dig in a ditch. You dig a ditch and you put it in there. Or, now, or like a uh, chamber pot you fucking throw it out the window. Exactly. Right, which I mean, but like now we don't have to worry about it. It's like, you got a toilet? I can shit in it. So yeah. it got to the point that it was so and overrun that one of the accounts that was written from the time compared the unprecedented influx of people to the inundation of the northern barbarians into Rome. Which is literally how they talked about it. So they're literally like, oh, all these poor people here is like the Goths raping and pillaging Rome. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's right. comparable. That's right. God, that's so fucking entitled. The quote, unwashed masses followed Jackson and his official posse from his rooms. Official posse? I mean, that's it. Yeah. So, really quick, you've proven that the aristocracy, or not aristocracy, but... Upper classes are not happy. No, they are. They're very angry. They don't know what to do. They're so beside themselves. Okay, so that's one group checked off. Fucking mad. Fucking mad. Anyone with money in Washington, (laughs) D.C. So we have the morning, and Jackson gets on his horse and begins to ride from his rooms at the Gadsby National Hotel to the Capitol building where the shit swearing-in will happen on the morning of the inauguration. But of course, people are flooding the streets already. And one of the authors uh, that I read described it, uh, Brian Adams, described it as, quote, like groupies escorting Led Zeppelin to the Fillmore Theater. Hell yeah. Honestly, I'm not an Andrew Jackson fan, but that'd be kind of fun. Oh, it was that's badass. A, that's fucking cool. It was the first time this had ever happened in yeah. American history. So the entire area around the Capitol building and all of the surrounding streets are absolutely flowing with this moving mass of human life as were all of the streets back into the visible distance from Capitol Hill. A shit, it got so bad that they actually had to run out to the docks and grab a cable that was used for shipping and string it across the top of the Capitol God. steps to keep back the press of human weight trying to get to Andrew Jackson. Good God. How many people were trampled? I don't even have a record. Like, but people had to have been trampled. Oh, yeah. It was unbelievable. So uh, one of the guys that was there was Francis Scott Key. Francis Scott Key is later famous for having written the poem, which would eventually become the lyrics of the American National Anthem. Yeah. So uh, everyone has heard his lyrics, but uh, they may not know his name. But Francis Scott Key, a, a very vocal populace, looked out on this un- just unbelievable mass of people pressing through Washington and described it as beautiful. It is sublime. Don't worry, I promise you that by the end of the day, Francis Scott Key will be every bit as miserable as everyone else. Excellent. (laughs) Um, Finally, they have to pull in a cannonade to fire off 
to get people to shut up enough for Jackson to give his speech. Big That's kind of fun. Like, if yeah. you're being fucking ACDC and you're doing that at the end of For Those Who Are About to Rock, that's pretty great. Oh, yeah. That's, I mean, that's literally what it was. This was like, this was like a rock concert for the age. But just way not I as mean, much fun. Yeah. <laughs> it was definitely a lot of talking, not as much singing. Yeah. So... Uh, cannons boomed a signal for silence. The president gave his inaugural address, but even as he was giving the address, people were trying to surge over the line that had been formed around his podium, desperately trying to sh just to shake his hand. And it got so... The press of people against the weight of this cable. A ship's cable. This is no yeah, joke. These are huge. These are these like ships huge weight. They pressed so hard that it snapped the cable and the surging crowd pressed up the steps to the point that Jackson had to be ushered off of Capitol Hill and flee the scene of his own inauguration. Jesus <clears throat> And I bet he loved that. He really actually did. So... Jackson is now riding through the surging mass of his gracious and loving fans. Uh, but of course, he's desperately trying to get back to the White House. Because afterwards, you know, the White House is where you're going to have the presidential reception. Yeah. But of course, uh, Margaret Bayard Smith, who I referenced earlier, uh, she wrote that this was the, the crowds, the surging crowds of 20,000 people were composed of, quote, countrymen, farmers, gentlemen mounted and dismounted, boys, women, and children, blacks and whites following him, carriages, wagons, and carts, all desperately pursuing him to the president's house. He literally had, like, a human he had mob. An, yeah, ugh. I'm surprised this didn't devolve into violence. Oh, just wait. Because uh, one Amos Kendall reported that the sidewalks of Pennsylvania Avenue were covered with people on foot, and in the center an innumerable number of carriages and persons on horseback moving all in the same direction. I spent a full half hour waiting for the stream to run by, but like a never-failing fountain, the capital poured forth its torrents of human beings. Jesus. It was just a fucking troll. So they're like Richard Harding Davis sitting in Belgium watching the German army go by in just, 1940. Yeah, just sitting like it's just flabbergasted. A huge human wave, practically. So now all of these people are heading towards the White House. Now, traditionally at this point, uh, the White House had been considered an open house on Inauguration Day, which means that anyone could come in and out for the party because the president is the president of all the people. Yeah. There have just never been this many people. And of course, because of this unbelievably toxic, vicious hate fest of an election between Jackson and John Quincy Adams, nobody had bothered coordinating with each other to make this party happen. Oh, good. And you know who I bet really loved this? Speaking of someone who worked in a kitchen, cooks. Oh, yeah. I bet they were just loving <laughs> Speaking this. of which. Well, in an unbelievable faux pas for the period, Adams had actually moved out of the White House that very morning and only knew that he was no longer president because he was hauling his shit out of Washington, <laughs> D.C. and heard the cannons go off announcing Jackson's presidency. Big. Wow, so he just fucking got out of town? Yeah, he, he just knew. left. He threw Washington the bird and left town. Wow. Honestly, I don't blame him. I would do that now. Yeah. So <laughs> that was the, right now. So I'm loving it. The problem was that there was because of the 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 
degree of tension between Jackson's people and Quincy Adams' people, there was no room or time to actually properly plan the events of the day. And uh, so there was nothing really to do. So uh, that allows us to add to the list of miserable people. John Quincy Adams and John all Quincy supporters. Adams, all of his people, Andrew Jackson, who is dying of grief mm-hmm. and now president. Couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Well, could, but... All of the people that are supporting Andrew Jackson and his administration, and now literally everyone desperately trying to plan a party at the White House. Okay. So far, going great. Yeah. So now we have a list of people including not only those, but Jackson's family, his cabinet, his assistants, and his slaves. Now, we include the slaves who were still mostly in Tennessee, but I promise you, if nothing else, they weren't having fun. I kind of feel like you just don't. No. Like, once you're a slave, it's like, eh, even my best day as a slave, not great. No, but to, to, to prove my point further that no one was having fun, the party has not yet even begun, and already we are dealing with an interstate misery crisis. As the day passes, this caramelizing stew of unhappiness will corrode into a thick, black, boiling shit show. You had me at hello. <laughs> so... The thing is that a bunch of people got the memo that you could go to the White House and have a party. So this unbelievable mass of people moving towards the White House suddenly find that they are colliding with another crowd who is already there waiting for the White House doors to open. So as the crowd from the speech at the Capitol comes into contact with the crowd at the House, absolute anarchy breaks out. Because since they didn't coordinate anything, uh, Margaret Bayard Smith recorded that, quote, there were no police officers placed on duty and the whole house was absolutely inundated by a rabble mob. My God. They had zero police force on staff to keep this place intact. That's What the fuck? This is a marvel of mismanagement. Oh, <laughs> it's a shit show. God. I really like your line about comparing the shit show to, f- to like, burnt food. Yeah. I mean, they were it's trying to so make- It starts off, like, they're like, in theory, this is really good. Right. And then it just keeps getting worse. It just keeps getting worse. It just never stops. One of my favorite quotes, again, from Margaret Bayard Smith is, the majesty of the people had disappeared and a rabble, (laughs) an absolute mob of boys, negroes, women, and children, scrambling, fighting, romping. Romping. May I I try this real quick? Yeah. An absolute mob of boys and negroes and Now, clearly, clearly, in in reading Margaret Bayard Smith's account, it really became very clear that her issue really started up with the appearance of the Negroes in the White House. And uh, with that, we can add the list. We can add Margaret to the list of very unhappy people in this story. How many are there so far? A lot. Oh, there's many. Thousands. (laughs) I would say thousands. Uh, To describe the crowd now pushing their way into the White House, uh, one of the newspapers, the New York Speculator, reported that, quote, (laughs) 
The dandy, wishing he had no toes to be stepped on, the tight-laced miss, fearing her person might be receiving of some permanently deforming impulse, the miser, hunting his pocketbook, and the courtier, looking for his watch, combined with the office-seeker in agony to reach the president. They what? were all... Oppressive humanity. Just, just go and say just it like that. absolute anarchy. So these people had desperately tried to quickly prepare a lavish party with food, drink, punch, wine, all of which were set out. Well, we know what they say about lavish parties. You can prepare them quickly. That's, that's right. The most problematic thing, though, was something that we don't hear much about today, but which was the orange punch. Now, a punch back then, we think of a punch today as like a party drink. <laughs> For them, a punch was just straight grain alcohol. Woo! So, this God. was, an orange punch was a concoction of liquor so potent that it would peel the paint off of the wall next to you, cross your eyes so hard that you'd see your sinuses, and rot your guts straight through from your mouth to your asshole. Jake, that, just, is, sounds like a, that just sounds like a typical Sunday for you. It sounds like what Dan drinks. We don't trust Dan. We don't trust Dan. Dan, if he's a real person, uh, <laughs> it would be known to drink something like that. He just that. comes busting through the door. We just... Give me know. the recipe. <laughs> <laughs> so, knowing that this was going to be served, these people showed up to fucking wreck it. And these people oh. wanted that punch, and they didn't give two flying fucks about the presidential china or crystal that it was supposed to be served oh, in. Oh, God. God. One Pennsylvania congressman described the scene by saying, quote, Orange punch by the barrels were made available, but as the waiters opened the doors to bring it out of the kitchen, a rush was made, glasses broken, literal pails of liquor upset, and the most painful confusion prevailed. I picture, like, you know those, like, gravy, um... Boats? Or, yeah, gravy boats that are, like, brought out on Thanksgiving. And your, like, mother's like, it's a great idea that we got this. Yeah. I picture people, like, taking shit like that and just drinking liquor out oh, of just it. Like, like, whatever's available. Like, hey, can you refill my Yahtzee cup? That's right. When like, I, that kind of thing. When I get married, I'm not gonna have, like, a dainty, beautiful champagne flute. I'm gonna have, like, a gravy boat like that. Wood. I mean, you've got a press of 20,000 <laughs> people. mimosa. <laughs> <laughs> So, within the first That's five minutes drink. of this party, thousands of dollars in that day's money worth of serving ware, crystal, china, furniture broken, all destroyed as drunken crowds began stealing items from the White House. There's even a story of a piano being dropped from the upper floors of the White House. This is a fucking Looney Tunes cartoon. Oh my god. <laughs> and someone just like this drops a piano. This is Wile E. Coyote bullshit. And in like a roadrunner. In the middle Maybe. of all of this, Andrew Jackson, now so recently president, has been assaulted by waves of unwashed, shit-soaked people who have been living in the fields outside of Washington, D.C., all of them desperately pushing towards him to try and congratulate him on his presidential victory. Holy shit. Jesus Christ. He was pushed in his own home now to the back rooms of the White House, shaking hands so desperately that he actually was <laughs> doing so in order to literally save his own life. No, no, it's fine here. Yes, it's nice to meet you. Please don't hurt me. That's right. That's oh, literally what was happening. God. So because no police force had been arranged, there was no secret service to protect the president. Yeah, from that didn't fans. come out until Lincoln, I think. Right. 
So instead, a coalition of civilian servants wielding pistols and knives formed a ring around Jackson. Fuck, that's so cool. To stave off his friends. <laughs> that's awesome. God. You stay back for the press or I'll fucking cut you. <laughs> that's right, back the fuck up. That's awesome. That's great. Uh, Those are my favorites. Mrs. Smith reported that Jackson was literally almost suffocated by the press of just physical bodies onto his What's person. What's okay? He's in really good health. Yeah, right. Yeah, he's doing great right now. Right. He's not riddled with bullets, diseased with grief, and almost starving to death. So these men ended up being able to maneuver the crowd enough to form a wedge of knives to fight their way back out of the White House, where they desperately called up a horse to help the new president flee his own home back to the hotel that he had started at that morning. Oh, God, he had a great day. <laughs> now, you have to keep in mind that this man, Andrew Jackson, is the one that had turned back the British Army at the Battle of New Orleans, an mm. overwhelming military force. He had fought through countless battles, not only against Indian nations, but in the pitch black of night and in the cold light of day from his earliest childhood. Some of his earliest memories are killing people. This is the guy that had trekked through the backcountry of Kentucky, Tennessee, Louisiana, Florida, Georgia, the Carolinas, and other territories. And he had to fucking run. God. On his own inauguration day. Uh... There was one woman at the scene that compared the destruction at the White House to the sacking of the para, uh, the Palace of Versailles during the French Revolution. <laughs> Which is pretty metal. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. Uh, James Hamilton Jr., who was uh, the, one of the relatives of Alexander Hamilton, described the Great events... Guy. Oh, interesting person. <laughs> described the event as, quote... A regular Saturnalia, one uninterrupted stream of mud and filth among the throngs, many subjects of the penitentiary, you know, prisoners. It would have done Mr. Wilberforce's heart good to have seen a stout black wench eating in this free country a jelly. Wow. Oh, yeah. Little bit racist. Uh, it was very racist. But basically, they found this one uh, lady who was, coincidentally, African-American, uh, eating jelly in the back rooms with a golden spoon at the White House. Uh, she is the one person who might break my theory that everyone was miserable because it, sounds, jelly. it sounds like she actually had a pretty great time. She was eating jelly with a, with gold a golden spoon. spoon. By this point, we're nearly an hour into the party and almost every piece of furniture on the first floor of the White House has been destroyed. All of the carpets are ruined. Art has been stolen and precious china and crystal has been destroyed, stolen, and crushed under increasingly bloodied feet. My only hope for this situation is that they were spilling so much liquor that at least their bloodied cut up feet were sterilized by the alcohol oh. running across the floors no they don't deserve it people oh. were quote continually climbing in and out of windows for more punch and whiskey until some brilliant man had the idea of moving the liquor outside Christ. they're so destroying the house that eventually someone says all they want is the booze what if we just literally set up horse troughs in the yard <laughs> to try and just get them out of the house? Literally, they're like, 
Come here, piggies, get your slop. <laughs> no, literally. <laughs> like they're they doing they have. I'm not here, joking. Here, piggies. <laughs> so they started loading Sweet. They started loading the orange punch into bathtubs and wash bins and hauling it out through the kitchen windows, pouring gallons of whiskey into pails and buckets, and toting it onto the White House lawn where they poured it out for the people to sup. I assure you that this we... This is disgusting. Oh, it's horrid. Like, this is disgusting and like the say, Oh, man. So these poor servants, who are desperately trying to run with buckets of whiskey, are just the unbelievable targets of assault. As people are trying <laughs> people to... People are attacking are them, desperate to get them, whiskey. Desperate to get a bucket of whiskey. So this drunken, brawling mob soon realized that their objective had shifted. They didn't want to be in the house... They wanted to be on the lawn. Where the whiskey is. So they started clambering back out of the windows, one at a time, onto the White House lawn, crunching glass into the lawn and leaving behind a wash of blood, liquor, and any hopes the White House had for seeing a servant sleep that night instead of cleaning the floors. My God. Good Christ. Now, there is, in the written record, no evidence of any erase uh, arrests made during this event because as we said before there were there no, are no police. police who's making the arrests i personally have the theory that the police knew this was going to happen and like yeah, fuck this stayed as far away as possible to try and keep from getting killed what's that you want me you want me to work today bill <laughs> no oh fuck boy today. i came down with a big case of the not fucking nows <laughs> I came down I'll tell you what, Bill, um, fuck fucking make me. Yeah, that's right. Come and make me work. So once the liquor literally had been drunk dry for the entire White House larders, the mob began to subside and walking off, walked off to drunkenly sleep and pull the shards of broken glass out of themselves. And the president, back at his rooms at the Gadsby Hotel, had to wait at least another night to occupy the White House for the first time. Once the liquor on the lawn had been drunk and no more was readily available, the human mass of drunken violence seems, by all accounts, to have finally dispersed back to whatever holes they had crawled out of. My Good lord. God. And if you think that's hard, try making a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, Fuck you, you don't know shit. <laughs> now, you may be thinking to yourself, at least a few of these people probably had a good time. But when no. you get down to it, I bet that the people that thought they were having the best time ended up vomiting alone in a field where they had to shit into a ditch if they were lucky. Bitch, me night. too. You ain't special. I feel very safe in saying that the drunk ones regretted it and the ones who weren't drunk probably wished they were. Yeah, God, what a fucking mess. That is without even mentioning the innkeepers, hotel owners, <gasps> oh God. pub owners... Homeowners, farmers, police, and servants of the town of Washington, D.C. who had to deal with the aftermath of this human wave. This is one of the only times where I think you were legitimately justified in sitting out with a right, like a firearm and watching people like walk by or has to be like, you step on my lawn, I'll fucking kill you. I think that you would probably end up shooting one person and then be overrun. I own guns, not a fan of using them that way, but shit, if I were in this situation, I'd be sitting out all night. Oh, it's terrifying. Hey, it's good as a threat. So, Great threat. yeah, we have now reached the evening, 
And while the posh society people found another hotel at which to hold a very genteel, exclusive party for the president, the unwashed masses returned to the fields where they were to sleep, and the president, filled with grief, unbelievably, just, I can't even imagine the state of mind that he was in, already just desperately wanting this day to be over, sitting in his hotel room, waiting for a steak dinner to come, as he sat, not in the White House, the President of the United States. The free flow of liquor was something that would actually come to define Jackson's presidency, as he spent the majority of his presidential salary stocking the White House with imported wines, gin, whiskey, port rums, and all manner of alcohol. Yeah, that's what he spent most of his money on, because he really wanted to be the president's people, which meant that anyone... The people's president? That's right. Yes. Okay. And so anyone that showed... Boy, oh boy. Uh, so <laughs> anyone that showed Pour a few up, beers in, you're fine. Yeah, right. So anyone Only that like ten. That's Each. probably inaccurate. So... <laughs> anyone that showed up at the White House during the Jackson administration would be welcomed and given whatever they wanted to drink. And so alcohol became a really important part of his identity as a people's man. And well, probably the most notable story of this was that uh, Jackson's doorman, uh, a guy named Jimmy O'Neill, was so stinking drunk at all hours of the day that he couldn't do the one job that he had, which was to stand up and open the doors to welcome guests. Me. That is... <laughs> I'm not going to say a dream job, because I've been really badly drunk often enough where it's like, oh, this isn't fun. But that's kind of a great job. It's, it's something, that's for sure. There are worse jobs. Oh, yeah. You could be cleaning up the field that all these people uh, that's left right. behind. That's right. Several of those worst jobs were created by the Jackson inauguration. Oh, God, what a mess. So, yeah, we ended up with a presidential inauguration with a sad, crying president alone at a hotel. 20,000 displaced people desperately trying to find a place to put their heads. And a whole sea of basically Washington aristocracy wishing the day was just over. And that is the story of the saddest day of inaugural presidency. God, My what a fucking mess. God. Yeah. And yet still not as sad as Britney's Sweet Sixteen. Nothing is as sad as Britney's Sweet Sixteen. <laughs> it was a hell Britney of a time. just like walking around and you're like, I could have friends one day. <laughs> I have friends there. Until then, she's Only got one us. of them are my friends now, but... That's oh, right, you came out better. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. we're fun people. We're stronger for, a survive, anyway, for having survived these things, like Andrew Jackson. I am not going to stay awake during, during during Jake's episode. Oh, my Oh, yeah, you'll, you'll be great. <laughs> no, don't worry, this is... A, that's a fantastic story. Okay. Uh, well, that'll be next time on Drunk Thunks. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Uh, this is Drunk Thunks. You can find us. You can email us. If you have questions, if you have stories, if you have things you want oh us to talk about. Oh, my God. Yeah, if you have suggestions, yeah, please. Yeah, we'd love yeah. to hear from you. Really, because I'm not good at running social media. Uh, funnily enough, I was wanting to completely get off of Facebook, and then we started doing this, so I'm stuck on. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, You'll die please. here. Please. Please help me. We can yeah. you can reach out to us at drunkthunks at gmail.com uh, or you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at drunkthunks. So thank you all for joining us. Hope you enjoyed our story and come back next time for another episode. Thanks, Bye. everybody. Thanks. I love you. <laughs>
shelf, usually it's bottom shelf 